Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on GlobalResultsPR.com. And welcome to a new episode of of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Dyster. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. Let us know how we're doing. And also follow us or subscribe through YouTube to get all these lovely videos as well. But this week, we're going to be talking about Instagram, social media, podcasting, all that other fun stuff that you really need to know because they're all hot and popular and people love to try to dabble in it but with me i have devo with me and he is a photographer a videographer a blogger a serial entrepreneur he also has a podcast as well so he's actually used to this and used to doing all this kind of fun stuff he also has experience in building relationships grill marketing bootstrapping social media and This podcast is MBB Podcast. It's a weekly talk show that explores central topics to the human creative digital architecture to help small businesses and entrepreneur brand and market. So welcome to the show, Devo. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And my counterpart is not here today. She's actually doing a uh, keynote with a former Navy SEAL. She's uh, filming and and producing on site for that. Otherwise, she would have joined us. So she said to send her regards. Fair enough. Hey, I mean... You got work to do. You got work to do. I mean, yeah, she's with the Navy SEAL today. That's kind of a cool deal. It actually really is. I'd be like, I, I, I'd go there too. <laughs> I said the same thing. I was like, I'd probably do the Navy SEAL. And <laughs> no offense, Brett. I'm sure you're cool as shit, but Navy SEAL sounds like some cool storytelling. Yeah, no no offense taken. I would probably go too. <laughs> but the first question I ask all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I'm both. Coffee during the day, tea during the afternoon and evening. What about yourself? I am mostly both, but I mean, I used to be a barista, so I kind of had to be both because you kind of have to taste everything and experience everything. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I do. I mean, I, I don't, I make fun of Starbucks, but I still go to Starbucks. This is a funny thing because they're always around. And if you need a quick hit, then I mean, where else are you going to go except for Starbucks if you're in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. So I'm lucky. Charlotte is a brewery and coffee mad city we have breweries and coffee shops i swear on every other corner in between those are churches but so it's coffee brewery church but you'll love this i just came back from costa rica and i actually got to spend an entire day on a coffee farm making coffee and chocolate from scratch i got to pick the beans i got to process with the farmers i got to crush the chocolate it was amazing and i brought back 10 bags of coffee straight from the brewery from costa rica it's brilliant hey nothing wrong with that i mean coffee and chocolate kind of go together anyway so it's like match made in heaven to me (laughs) that's right no brainer i'm actually drinking some of that right now this is my new coffee mug i brought back nice hand painted by some of the local um indigenous people there pretty cool i just got anyway thanks for having me on the show i'm excited to be here our pr360 mug (laughs) i like that but I gave a brief introduction to you. Can you give you a little bit more of your expertise to our listeners so they can understand you a little bit more? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I Straight out of college, I went straight into the corporate world. I did the 9 to 5 like everybody is trained to do as robots. Uh, did that for 15 years or so while I was 
still trying to pursue my hobby as a photographer. I didn't realize I was going to be making money off of photography at the time. I just was sort of passionate about it. I've been, I've had a camera in my hand since I was 12. And so I was just, you know, I was I've always taking photographs, but, um, I eventually quit the corporate world to launch my own business because I started realizing that I was actually pretty good at what I did and could make money at it. And so I just dove headlong into it. And that's where I am now. I own a couple of different businesses that are both centered around content creation and, and photography and video. And then in 2018, I launched a new brand called Sprout Connectors with my partner, Lisa, which focuses on social media growth and at the integration. Let me back that up. The, the integration of branding and marketing with social media and content. So we take the left brain and the right brain, the business pragmatics and the art and photography, and we combine them two to utilize social media and branding for primarily small businesses, although we do have some pretty large clients as well. Now. Nice. And I mean, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. First part is just photography in general was the main staple in social media. Everybody had to know how to take decent photography at least, or at least try to figure out how to do photography. And then it finally kind of switched to be video. So what is the photography market right now in in terms of social media? Should photographers be worried that Instagram's like, yeah, we really don't care about you guys as much anymore, or we officially don't care about you guys as much anymore. We care about video. We care about TikTok and Snapchat and whatever they're doing. Yeah, great question. So uh, I, there's a couple of ways, of different, different ways to look at that. Photography is not dead. However, its, its luster has evolved a bit or denigrated, if you will, depending upon your perspective. Because everybody has cell phones now, right? They can take photographs anywhere and everywhere at all points of the day and now video. And so the idea of hiring a photographer has sort of evolved a little bit. And, and I wouldn't say... I won't even say for a second that there's no need for it because we get hired every day to take photography. I would say that the way you take photography has evolved and the meaning that it has uh, and the perception that it has with the primary audience of viewers has evolved a bit. That being said, Instagram shift to video, quote unquote, it's been a long time coming. In fact, years in the making, it's more marketing than anything else. There's still a place for photography. In order to increase their digital advertising dollars, they're now advertising themselves as a video platform so that they can compete with the other video platforms that are dominating the market and, and YouTube, TikTok, and Snapchat we talked about, about in the earlier. So, but as you'll see on most of the bigger influencer feeds on Instagram, the idea is not so much to move away from video, it's to start incorporating video and other assets into your content stream with some real purpose and strategy around it. And so there's still a place for photography, of course, absolutely. And so sh- should they actually pivot to like maybe back to Flickr? Cause Flickr is actually still around mind you or some other spot, or should they actually really stick to crafting it more? I mean, I'm pretty sure photography still has a spot in like website creation. Cause everybody needs a, a picture somewhere in their website. So has it pivoted more to like being very specific on where they need to go or has it been more just refined? And so you really have to know how to take pictures, even from your smartphone. Cause you could take really good pictures, really terrible pictures on your smartphone at the same time. Yeah, that's another great question. I'm glad you're asking. I think um, I would say it's been refined. There's always going to be a place for photography. What I would suggest to anybody who wants to use social media as an application for business development 
is to be more strategic and purposeful about their reason for being on social media and to utilize content that speaks to that brand's story. And, and that can come in the form of graphics, that can come in the form of memes, that can come in the form of showing up on the different platforms that you're choosing. So we're talking about Instagram, as opposed to just dumping selfies on your feed all day long, you should be a little bit more strategic and purposeful about it and utilizing the various platforms that Instagram offers. So video format, photography format, showing up on lives, showing up on reels, and utilizing all the different tools that they're at your disposal with a very purposeful and, and in alignment with what your business objectives are. And that's how you have, that's how you'll create some traction with, within the application itself. Mm -hmm. and then, Does like, that make sense? Yes, it actually did. I mean, I think we all should try to figure out how to do better photography, but even the DSLR market has kind of shifted in different ways. It's not as popular as it used to be anymore. Even with me and having several thousand dollar basically camera that I'm using right now, I mean, nobody really wants that as much anymore. So the market is shifting. And I think it's it's interesting what DSLR market is going through. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say that nobody wants it anymore. I think the type of content that you're producing has evolved a bit. I think today's consumer is really savvy and really smart. And because they can basically thumb through 100 pages in about 60 seconds on their screen, they're really quickly looking for something that's going to jump out, pop out, and resonate with them. And it's those scroll-stopping moments that capture your audience, right? And the more you can be consistent about that content, whether it's in photo and or video format, so that you can keep your viewers coming back, that's where the resonance is. And it's gone. You're absolutely right. It's evolved. Instagram used to be about putting out the perfectly curated feed, color-coded, geometrically aligned, et cetera, et cetera, right? And now it's more about the organic, show me what you have going on. It's more about the documenting as opposed to creating now. And you'll see that the people who are having the most success in it have kind of shifted their mindset around documenting their story, their life, whatever it is that they're trying to share with their viewer, as opposed to specifically curating every single piece of photo or content they put out. And I mean, what specifically is your opinion of the state of social media? We have Facebook now, the parent company changes to Meta because of the metaverse, which is still weird to me. It's it's kind of like, okay. And then you have you have Google, you have YouTube, you have all this Twitter still going on. So what do you, what is your opinion about social media businesses and PR type of a thing and how, how has it evolved and what should PR people be looking for or even doing on social media in the current state? Should we take this into a geopolitical conversation or do you want to have a one dimensional please? Geopolitically, social media was designed to, to, attract an audience and keep them in that space so that whomever is utilizing that outlet, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, the more viewers they can keep glued to their screen, the more advertising dollars they can sell back, right? So that's kind of the whole point of it. Ultimately, every single one of these social media companies are competing for eyeballs, right? The more eyeballs they can keep on your on their screen and for the for longer durations, the more they can advertise back to sell that space so they can attract more money. Socially speaking, I think that social media, if you're running a small business in, in any way, shape or form, if you want to have any traction whatsoever, you have to be on social media. It never before in the history of our known recorded history of humanity 
have we had the opportunity to speak to a larger audience of people at a relatively low cost of entry right now? And if you can craft your message very strategically and purposefully about what it is you're trying to share with your audience, why you're in business in the first place, what, what are the reasons that you show up every day, what are the pitfalls, all the different vulnerabilities that it goes into running your business. If you can tell that story and capture an audience that resonates with that, with that type of story, then you're going to have more success. If you're just showing up to say, hey, I'm just checking off my list. I posted something today. The viewers are so smart that they're going to very quickly see through that and be like, okay, why is Brett showing up today? He's just posting a photo of his cat and then he hasn't been here for a week and then he showed up and he posted a photo of a road. Like, what's the point of your purpose being on there? So every viewer, because they're so smart, they want to know what are you doing for me lately? And that what are you doing for me lately can be in the form of storytelling. It can be in the form of a product that you're really passionate about, uh, whatever it might be. But the whole idea is to have a purpose on your social media and then show up and tell that purpose and connect with your audience. And not every audience, just the specific type of people that you want to sell to. So almost like niche down to the core audience and then maybe branch out eventually type of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, I mean, it's an age old cliche. If you're selling to everybody, you're selling to nobody, but it's the same thing. You know, if you're a small business owner and let's say, uh, let's just use an analogy. Let, let, let's say you're a rock star and you're a, you're a band that's playing, you know, second fiddle to the main, the main act. Right. And so you go into this amphitheater and there's 60,000 people that you get to show up for and sing before Coldplay comes on. I don't even know what your jam is, but let's just pretend you're not Coldplay. Right. So of those 60,000 people that you're singing to in that big jam-packed stadium, there's only a few of them that have maybe ever heard of you, right? And so you're speaking to them. But you're also going to pick up some other fans because you had a larger audience, right? So the idea is to take that down from a diminutive scale and think, who can I speak to in my social sphere and not focus on the followers, not focus on anything other than just telling your story? that stadium will slowly start filling with more and more people that are attracted to your song because you're telling your version. You're not just recreating somebody else's version or copying someone else's. You're not just a cover band doing you two hits, right? You're in there singing the Brett Deister jams that you choreographed, that you created, that you wrote, that you're now singing to that audience. And so what happens is when you start doing that more consistently and you show up on a regular basis with your jam, more and more people start filling just to come see Brett. Does that make sense? And then before you know it, you're the next Coldplay and you're singing to your own 60,000 fan stadium. Oh yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you, you got to start somewhere and you can't be realistic in saying, I'm going to hit all those 60,000. No, you're probably going to hit 10 and then maybe build and build. I mean, that's exactly. that's how everything goes. You have to build it before people go, oh, you're awesome. I mean, the yeah, small absolutely. people would like probably say that. But I mean... Well, you, you know, the problem with that, if I may, for a second, so social media in the early days, especially Instagram, there was there were companies out there where you could buy followers. And so these vanity metrics sort of became the benchmark for success. And we'd see Brett, D, is your, is it, do you say Deister or Deister? How do you say your last name? Deister. Deister. So you would see Brett Deister out there. He's got half a million fans or 200,000 fans. And I look at you and I'm like, man, he is the best podcaster ever. I want to be just like Brett. He's got 250,000 followers. Like he's a big deal. Well, five years ago, your 250,000 fans might not even been real. You might've paid somebody for a large swath of those fans, but most people don't know that. So all they look at is the vanity metric. I want to be like Brett. Today, the social media shift 
because the social media platforms are aware of this pirating, if you will, of fans, they not only shut that down, but they shadow ban you so that people can't see your content. And there's all sorts of algorithm rules that go into how your content is seen. And we can talk about that if you're really bored. But the bottom line is, is that each of the platforms want you to consume their content and they want you to create content on their platform. And the more you do that, the more you show up and engage, the more they're going to give you your dangling carrot and reward you and push you off to the viewer platform. No, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I've had those throughout my life where they're like, Hey, get more followers. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Stay away from it, please. It, it, you'll get, you'll get in trouble with your social media. Well, even before you actually got in trouble, I was like, this is all fake. I mean, I'm not really getting anybody that cares. I'm just getting fake things that may help me boost a little bit, but in the long run, People will figure it out. I mean, people figure it out in the long run. People figure out everything. The truth always rises. You know, I would suggest for anybody, and if, if, you have, if your listeners are relatively new to the social media concept of showing up and using it for business, I would say before you jump on social media, just to say you're on social media, is really better understand your business and what it is you're trying to accomplish. And what does that brand messaging look like? Because your brand messaging, whether you're on social media or using traditional billboard advertising, should still be very focused and pointed. And if you're not focused and pointed and you're selling, you know, let's just take me as a photographer earlier in my days. When I first started doing photos for money, I was like, I'll shoot your dog. I'll shoot your baby. I'll do maternity. I'm doing boudoir. I'm shooting families over here. I'm shooting weddings over here. I'm shooting headshots over here. And people will come to the website like, what the f guy do he's all over the place and early on in your business world you're like yeah man i'm a well-rounded swiss army knife i can do everything but what happens is you're so unfocused in what you really are passionate about doing is that your message to your audience becomes unfocused and they're not really sure are you this or are you that are you this what do you want to be so social media is the same thing if you can get your messaging down on who your core audience is who what your core product is what your what you're really passionate about doing and really niche into that, you'll find that your messaging sort of takes care of itself because now you're talking about the things that you really want to be doing, right? Yeah. I mean, you could even do that for podcasting too. You can't talk about everything in podcasts because then people go, I don't, I don't know what you're really talking about. Even me, I had to niche down my own podcast from what I originally did to just being very specific. This one's very specific too, because if you try to like talk about everything to everyone, you're talking to nobody, really. You're absolutely spot on. And we're actually finding that out in our podcast, Mind Body Business. We felt like we were pretty focused on finding entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business owners who were sort of in the modalities of mind, body, business in that intersection. But what we found early in the process is that we were sort of having a yogi over here. And then one day we had a plant healer over here. And the next thing we had a CEO. And then like people were like, what's the podcast about? So we, we even found that out ourselves early on. We've really been fine tuning that as well. I mean, it's a great kind of segue into podcasting because podcasting exploded, especially during the pandemic. I was there before it actually happened. I was there on the rise of it, basically. Like 2015, 2016, it was going up, but it wasn't where it was during the pandemic and podcasting is great. The analytics behind it, not so great right now. I'm still trying to figure out how to actually utilize a lot of the analytics, but 
I mean, for PR people that are like interested in knowing how to do this, should they actually start one or should they be guests first and figure out what they need to do? Because I feel like brands are going, oh, we need to start a podcast. We need to start a podcast. It's like, okay, but what are you going to talk about? Yeah, I, I think not really dissimilar to what we just said on social media that if you are going to have a podcast, that's great, but you have to know it's a lot of work and you know this from the pre-production to the post-production to finding real guests to having real things to talk about on the show to being able to then take that and translate that into an audience that actually gives a damn to listen because everyone and their mother is now podcasting. It's an arduous task. And it's going to take some time to gain a foothold on that. Most of the really successful podcasters, you know, they've been doing this a bit, a bit of time now. They're producing multiple podcasts in a week. I don't personally have time for that. So what I would suggest is that if you're going to podcast just like your social media, be very, very purposeful about that. And if you're not sure if you really want to do podcasts, what you said earlier, I highly recommend hire an agency to get you on as a guest and borrow other people's audiences. You have zero production costs. All you, all that you're, you're charged is your time. And you get to show up like you and I are doing right now and speak to someone else's audience to expose your personal slice of the world. And then play around with it. See if it's something you like and if it feels good to you, if you have a good voice, if you show up well, if you're relatively charismatic, if you're intellectually thoughtful and you can actually provide some sort of value proposition to the guest then you might want to consider launching that into your own show. But I, I don't know that I would say, hey, just jump into a podcast just to have a podcast. Be very purposeful about it. It's true. Never do what I did. We kind of sort of jumped in. I was like, oh, let's just try this out. But that was like six years ago. So you kind of could get away with it. Right now, not so yeah. much getting away with it. And I mean, we could pivot over to like drop and drop out audio, which is Clubhouse, Spotify, Green Rooms. LinkedIn's going to try to do it. Twitter's already in it and Facebook's going to try to do it as well. I don't know if they've officially launched it quite yet, but I mean, how, how did podcasters or PR people try to figure this out? Because clubhouse is different from podcasting because you actually are live and podcasting. You could be live, but you really aren't. It's pre-recorded as always. So how, sh if they're trying to do podcasts or like, let's just do clubhouse instead. It's kind of like, well, you're trading off from things because you always have to be live. Yeah, I, I wish I had the secret sauce to this because I'm just like you. I'm trying to get my podcast out to a larger audience, monetize it, make money from it, find bigger guests, show up as a, as a guest on bigger shows. So for me, it's really been I'm kind of like you. I started doing this pre-pandemic back in 16. I would just show up on a weekly basis and just talk about random meanderings going on in my journal or my head, right? And then I realized, like, there's only a few people listening to this. What's the point? So uh, I think for me, podcasting is an opportunity for me to meet and connect with other people that I might not have had the chance to do. So I would have never met you had I not shown up on your podcast. And who knows where this relationship might cascade like you know maybe you and i end up doing a collaboration together somewhere i have no idea because many of my guests are now i'm actually in a business partnership with one of my guests we launched a new brand where we're doing some stuff together the guest we had on this morning on our show we're going to be doing uh some retreat based activities together so for me showing up on a podcast it's sort of just part and parcel to my overall digital strategy. I have social media. I have a strong website presence. I do send out, I have email funnels that are built in place. I have a newsletter that goes out to talk about all the things. It's just one more piece of 
of ammunition that I have in my tool belt that enables me to speak to a larger audience. And because we we utilize our podcasts when we produce it, we put it on social media, we put it on LinkedIn, it's on Facebook, we have it in groups, we have it on social media. We're using it effectively to get SEO out of it so that it just generally works with everything that we're doing on, on the rest of our marketing. Does that make sense? That's a long-winded answer, but yeah. Yeah, it does. It's, I mean, for me, if I look at the drop and drop out craze, I'm calling it a craze right now because it's still relatively new and we don't really know where it's going to go. I almost see this as a mirroring of what Twitch was when it first started off, it was just TV. The first time it started off, it was all about vlogging and then gamers got a hold of it and it, they just went, we're going this way. And they're now Twitch and everybody's trying to, every gamer is trying to be the next big streamer basically. And I see clubhouse trying to like do that in the audio space. And maybe we should look at this more of a streaming schedule slash this is how we're, where we're going to stream, what days we're going to stream type of a thing. Maybe we should start looking at it that way instead of just, I don't know what this is. This is just weird type of a thing. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not really sure the future of podcasts. I have a couple of, a couple of theories which we can talk about. But, but I think if you're considering going into the podcasting world, there are a few reasons why it's sort of critical. Podcasting kind of fits into people's lives. It's easier than having to sit down and watch TV because you can listen in your car. You can put it on your on your headphones. I actually listen. You're going to laugh when I'm in the gym working out. I listen to podcasts. That's sort of my 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 snack. I don't I don't listen to music. I actually listen to podcasts. I like to pick up on how other people are doing their shows. But it's really cool because because podcasts are sort of evergreen. They can be consumed for for longer periods of time as opposed to like. It's sort of like the the podcasts are kind of mirroring the shape and the the formation of what modern television is now doing. If you take a look at TV, you basically can tune on whatever you want, whenever you want, for however long you want, right? We're no longer subjected to the television broadcasting stations of the 4 p.m. show that only went from 4 to 5. I can turn on that show now anytime I want. And so podcasts is sort of mirroring that model because they know not only is not only does it fit into people's lives, but people can consume it for longer periods of time because they can watch it at their own discretion. And right now, there's not a lot of competition in podcasting. Like, there's a lot of people podcasting, but because it hasn't become, how shall we say this, equivalent to like broadcasting television where you're paying $3 million for a Super Bowl spot, people can still jump into it because the technology is basically free for the most part. I mean, you could literally start talking today if you wanted. So, I think there's a lot of reasons why people should do podcasting, but even before they do that, I would suggest that they have a purpose behind it. That's fair. I mean, there is a term called pod fade where you start it and then you just go down. You just don't do it anymore. You eventually just stop. So there is that type of thing. And I mean, what you said, you're actually not really that far away or that odd because a lot of people do actually listen to podcasts while they work out. I think that was one of part of the study that they did for metrics. There's, I've, I I subscribe to Pod News, which basically gives me all the podcasting news, and they basically it's an email newsletter, and they give me all the news that I need to, so I stay up on the industry because there's a lot that goes on within the podcasting space. But you're right in line. They a lot of people do that while they're working in the garden, while they're working out in the gym. Like it's, it's varied on the podcasting listening behaviors type of a thing. Yeah. 
I think I saw some data recently that around 20% of people who are actually in the gym listen to it that way. So, but my friends always make fun of me. They're like, what do you, I work out at a CrossFit gym and they're like, well, what do you listen to today, nerd? And I'm like, why does it matter to you, bro? You do you, I'll do me. Like, if you want to go listen to some, some hip hop or rap while you do your tire swings, I don't give a shit. Let me just listen to what I want to listen to. So, yeah. That's fair. But uh, I mean, moving on to, we talked about podcasts, talked about photography, social media, but now like video, because I feel like video is like the hot topic for now. I mean, I feel like it's more just really short video. That's really the hot topic right now. And so how should photographers, videographers, even PR people figure out this formula, I guess is the best way of figuring out how to do video well for their brand or well for them personal brand too. Oh, that's a loaded question because there's so many different ways to watch video. I, I think the the primary reason why people should be utilizing video is it drives engagement. It's sort of like we started off with reality TV 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you've, you've seen where that's gone. It's still, you know, you can watch any type of show from literally anything. You go into Netflix and there's people learning how to grow cactuses. We had a guy in our, our podcast a couple of weeks ago that we saw on a show on Netflix where he, he he's a, a seed he sp- he sells sprouts like all he does is talk about sprouts for diets so like you can literally find anything you possibly want and video because it sort of pulls back that curtain a photograph has its purpose i i, I understand the, the whole meaning behind that and for me a photograph is more artistic because you sort of have to consume it in a different way whereas video you can kind of lazily sit back and let the video do the work for you does that make sense so when I said photography is evolving, it's moving into a different type of audience because the type of audience that really appreciates photography are the same type of people that go to the orchestra or go to museums and that sort of stuff. Whereas for video, it's almost become the lazy man's consumption tool. And I don't mean that derogatorily. I just mean that you can basically sit back on your sofa like television, turn it on and you can watch video. And there's so many different ways that you can kind of, you can consume it. But the bottom line is that it drives engagement because people really want to see what's going on and they don't necessarily want to have to sit there and flip through all the photographs. It's a million photographs coming at you at once. And second part to your second question, how can people get started? I hate to sound like a broken record, but I would really sit down and make a list of the things that you could offer in video first and foremost. What is it that what is it that you think that you could present to your audience that might be useful to them? solve a problem for them, answer a question for them, entertain them in some capacity. And then once you've made that list, start thinking about how you can fill up that list with with consumable content. I wouldn't just start throwing videos up to throw up videos unless you just, you know, you're just doing it for shits and giggles. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty true. Also, just being a little bit different from everybody else, because we see videos all the time. And it's like the billboard, I mean, the billboard analogy of like you you can only read about 10 words on a billboard. That's basically like structure of how it is. You can only read about 10 words. And so it's almost that stop moment on your smartphone too. Like the billboard analogy goes to the stop moment. You stop because you're like, oh, something different, something I haven't seen before. So it almost seems like you need to put that in it for your plan as well as everything else that you just said. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and just from an advertising perspective, and I might be off on these numbers, but I think the average buyer before they make a purchase goes somewhere between five and eight different websites before they make a purchase. So if, and just think about your own buying patterns. Like, let's say you're trying to decide what to have for dinner tonight. 
you right. So what do you do? You go to Google. You go to Google Maps. You look up restaurants nearby, and and you take a look at the menu, and you probably look at three or four or five different menus or different restaurants if you've never been to any of them, right? So what video has done is it's closed that viewership numerology gap for potential buyers because that number has gone from five to eight to now one to two if you have video. And that's a real data point. If your website has a video or your social media has more video and a shopper is is doing advanced recon to sort of check you out, they're going to be more inclined to stop on your website or your social media if there's videos outlining what you do, who you are, how you do it, why you do it, and what sort of impact that you're making on them. And and so just from a sheer viewership advertising capacity, video has that power to compound and shorten the gap between viewability and purchasability. It's true, but I'm, I'm very obsessive when I buy stuff, especially when it's big item stuff. I think I bought a laptop and I think I watched like four videos, looked at five different articles just to get one laptop i'm a little bit obsessive about like what am i buying here what am i getting myself into type of a thing yeah absolutely yeah but i I would again i my numbers might be off but i would suggest given the fact that you're doing the things that you do in the space that you operate in you're probably sort of an anomaly from the general data numbers i would imagine most people probably don't do that much research they probably are just gonna i mean of course the numbers don't lie not probably most people don't do that Oh, true. I'm, I'm pretty sure in people's wheelhouse, like tech for me, like I, that's in my wheelhouse. I'm a little bit obsessive and I'm probably an outlier to the five to eight type of rule. Cause there's always outliers in almost every data point where there's people that will actually not read or watch as much. And there's people that like me do too, a little too much. <laughs> so think about that from a perspective of, of your business and what you do. So if you consider yourself an outlier and relatively unique, you obviously have a juxtaposition and a disposition about your purchasing patterns, right? So you probably want to attract people that are sort of appreciative of that sort of capacity. Like maybe you're starting a, a, a tech review company that's going to take all the different fantastic pieces of technology out there and do all the analytical, pragmatic data review on it to make sure that this is really going to match somebody, sort of like a, a CNET, for example, right? So the type of person that you're going to be marketing to is not going to be Grandma Phoebe across the street who doesn't have a TV, who doesn't have a cell phone, that sort of thing. I know I'm being very um, not vanilla here with this example, but the whole idea is that if you're going to be creating content, whether it's photo, whether it's video, whether whatever it is that you're creating, you want to create content that speaks to your audience because that's what you're going to be ultimately trying to sell to. I mean, that even goes to what is kind of your obsession in your business type of a thing, because that's where you're going to hit the most customers that you want, basically. And that's where we go back to that brand messaging thing. If you know what your brand message is, if you're really clear about what you're saying to your potential buyer, you're telling me that you're very clear about what your business operation sensibility is. Like you clearly know why you wake up every morning and put in all this, the hours that you do, why you are investing all this energy and resources into what you do. And if you can, if you can figure that piece out, then you've got your brand messaging figured out because that's the, that's the type of stuff that you're going to share with your people. And don't sell. Nobody wants to be sold to or sold to all day long. Just show up and, 
talk about the things that matter to you. Why do they matter? How do they matter? What do they matter? What's the impact? What's your value proposition that you're giving back to the world? People want to know what's in it for me. They don't really care about what you're selling. They want to know what sort of an experience can I get from going on Brett's podcast with him or buying his product? How is that going to make my life better, smarter, stronger, faster, cleaner, prettier, whatever their objective might be as a buyer? Mm -hmm. And then even moving on to like more broad content creation and PR people, like how should they figure out this almost multi-channel, multi-strategy type of a thing? Because this it, PR used to be just, especially when I went to college for it, it was all about the press release and getting to know your reporter and the journalism and making sure you're on point with that. Also just making sure that you read up on everything that's going on within your industry. Now it seems like it's like, yeah, the writing is important still like no doubt, but also the picture taking the video, like we said, maybe even audio content. So, I mean, how do they keep it all in line? Cause I'm pretty PR people were great, but we can't be great at, all this other stuff too. We'll probably be pretty good at what we do. I would say start with your low hanging fruit. What can you really capture and master early on in your process? Understand which of the channels that you feel the, the most draw to for whether it be LinkedIn as a business owner, whether it be Instagram or Facebook or Meta, whatever the hell they're calling it now, or Snapchat or whatever it is. I, I wouldn't suggest picking all of them. I think it's okay that you have some ancillary content that floats around in there, Clubhouse, but I would find one or two channels that you really can invest some time and energy into and be very purposeful about and really attack those. And once you've built up an audience on those channels, once you've built up some resonance on those channels and sort of made a little bit of headway into them, that's when you can start to play in some of the other sandboxes. Because what's cool about having that, having that foundation, right? is that now when you join Clubhouse, you can invite your fans that you've built up on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn and say, hey, guess what? I'm going over to Clubhouse today for the first time. I'd love for you to check out my channel. And so what happens is you now are doing the cross-integration marketing and you didn't have to necessarily work at all of them at once because it's just like anything else. If you water down your product early on, you only have so much resources at your disposal. Like I can only give up so much time. Right, you know, People are so obsessed with Gary Vee, and I love Gary Vee. I've read all of his books. I've followed him religiously for years. But Gary Vee has a staff of 150 people. You know, Gary Vee's not showing up on every single channel every second of the day. He has people that are doing that for him. But he started somewhere. He started on YouTube. That's where he really dominated. And then he jumped over to Instagram or Facebook, and then he got that dominated. But each time he started in one silo or two silos, worked them till he had magic going on, and then he moved into the next space. And so your, your social media strategy, your PR strategy should sort of be the same thing. And just to use me as an example, now that I'm just talking bullshit, I just hired for the first time, I've been in business for 16 years, social media now for really strong going for five, four years, five years, I, we just hired our first PR firm that is actually going to now take everything that we've built and now exposing us to a larger audience of people that are kind of bigger, higher hanging artifacts in the digital world so that we can start showing up in a different space. But I couldn't do that if I had nobody following Instagram. No one's going to want to talk to me if I'm just a nobody showing up nowhere, right? It's like the schoolyard kid that you've never seen that just moved in from Nebraska. He might be a badass football player or whatever sport you're playing, but we've never seen you play. So you're going to be the last one picked. Yes, that's fair. I mean, you got to start somewhere and I, 
and you always got to pick that one because if you try to do too many of them, I mean, I, used to, I remember just doing content as a PR person with like different companies and it was difficult to like do different types of content and different types of writing by myself. Cause it's like, I'm writing like the same message eight different times and I don't even know how well I'm doing all those eight different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're spot on you're spot on. And a uh, fun question for you. How would you approach the future of photography? What, what would you like to envision from it? Really what I would like to see is some sort of accreditation involved in photography. I've always been a big proponent of this. There's too many people out there who are photographers who have bastardized the selection process just because they went down to Best Buy and picked up a really expensive camera. And not to knock the boots on people who are an aspiring photographer, but just like anything else, the quality level has descended and the consumer who is just really looking for the best deal most of the time ends up hiring somebody who doesn't have a lot of talent or skill or assets and they end up having buyers regret because they didn't get out of it what they wanted. I can't tell you how many times I've had rework clients that have hired somebody else and spent less money, didn't get what they want, ended up with buyer's regret and then came back to me to to fix their problem. That happens on a regular basis. And because it's there's no real point of entry to get into photography, you can literally go buy a camera today and call yourself a photographer. I this I don't know this will ever happen, but I would like to see some sort of accreditation involved with it before you can actually sell your services. It's I know that sounds a bit dystopian, but um, in a magic in a magic world with my magic wand, that's what I would do. Now, assuming that never happens, I think that the the shape of photography is going to continue on the path that it is, and the buyers through experience are going to become more filtered and fine tuned. So you're always going to have your people that are going to buy your Craigslist photographer, if you will. But because they've had lessons that have that they've learned from bad experiences, they're going to sort of go to a different echelon of buying capacity and will still be looking for photographers who have experience and bandwidth and really have been able to fine tune and hone in on their craft. And that's the type of people that are going to be buying. I think there's always going to be a market for low level amateurs. I, I don't. I was once a low-level amateur, right? So please hear me when I say I'm not denigrating those people. I'm just saying that if you want to be a photographer and you want to be able to charge top dollars like I do, you have to have some more experience, continue educating yourself, be, continue to evolve as a creator so that you can when – when a client comes to you like it's a Fortune 500 company and says, hey, we're looking to – I'm shooting in a wind tunnel next week for a really high-end company. And when I tell them, well, this fee is going to be X number of thousands of dollars, they're like, okay, how do we pay for you? If I didn't have any experience or bandwidth doing that, if I didn't have a portfolio, if I didn't have a social media, if I didn't have a digital website that showcases all of that, I would not be able to charge those prices. So I guess the long, I'm, I'm, this is a monologue, sorry. I guess the long and short of that is there's two sides to it. As a creator, Continue to educate yourself and perform your craft and get better and better. As a consumer, the consumers are getting smarter and smarter and more evolved. And those two will eventually intersect and collide because that's the natural segue of things. Well, it's almost like, and I think I coined this a long while ago when I was working for somebody like content guidelines, like brand guidelines, but specifically the how to get the best content. PR people are going to have to figure that out and be like, okay, how can we get the best content but we have to have guidelines of like what we're looking for so the creator understands what the pr person or brand needs to have i don't think there's anything like that right now because people haven't figured it out yet and i think 
it, it, I might be onto something. I might be t- talking crazy, but I feel like when there's no guidelines, it's you do hire the amateurs. I'm not saying you can't become better, but you do hire the amateurs doing it. I love where you're going with that, and and intrinsically that is taken care of by itself by a good creator. A good content creator has their own systems of checks and balances when they interview the client that they might be potentially working for so that they can properly understand and explore and do discovery on that. I don't go into any photo shoot without having a discovery meeting with my clients. I make a list of all their wants, the things they don't like. I want to understand their vision. It's a relationship. It's all about building that relationship so that when you get in bed with the client, you're very clear on what the value that they're expecting from you. What are their KPIs, their ROIs, whatever other terms that they expect from the job. And that's intrinsically taken care of by good creators. But you're absolutely right. Every business should know before they hire someone what they want out of this job. And if they haven't sat down as a buyer to better clearly understand that, then they should take a, take a beat and, and step back and do that. Otherwise, they're going to end up with a product they didn't want. All right. Any final thoughts for listeners? Um, I would just say don't focus on the outcome of anything. It's no different than life. Like if you're, if you're going to become a content creator, if you're going to be starting a social media presence, be strategic about it, be purposeful about it, and, and get in for the ride. It's, there is no such thing as instant success. Like it doesn't exist. You may, have, you may have different types of success along the way, but if you ultimately want to be a badass at what you do, invest in yourself, invest in the process, continue to learn, and don't focus on the outcome. Stay into the, into the space of working until you can get where you want to be. Great advice for our listeners. And thank you, Devo, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge about photography, video, podcasting, and content creation. Man, it was a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Thank you. And thank you for joining PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. Let us know how we're doing. And... If you want to watch these videos, join us on YouTube or Facebook as well. But join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get that content creation up and figure out what you want to do. And see you next week. Later.